0: okay hey guys welcome to consume podcast by me bert olivier where i talk about all the things i consume uh and it's also a you know weekly journal um life update so you know that uh library test that i felt pretty good about fucking i failed again by the same exact margin as last time three points so fucking stupid it's so frustrating i'm so it's so close just give me a fucking interview, you know, it's, man, and that was just a, because sh- I found this out Thursday morning last week, Today's Tuesday, um, so it was the day after I recorded last week, I woke up, and then I got that email, uh, real bummed out, and then I had a very long and stressful day of going to get my physical for my job with the uh, City of Glendale Parks Services, or whatever the fuck, and that was, it was just so fucking annoying, it was such a long day, so, uh, you know, I had to take a fizzle, and I knew that there was going to be a drug test, and I have a lot of, uh, issues when it comes to peeing in public, of any kind, it used to be a lot worse, it's gotten better, now, like, if I'm in a restroom, and if I, like, can get a stall, and sit down and be comfortable. I can pee in most public restrooms, but it used to be I could not pee in any public restroom if there was anybody else, if I even thought anybody else was coming in the door. I like there were times back in my like early twenties where we'd be out at like bars and I had to like I've like left bars and like left events uh to pee and just like not been able to get back in because you know there was a cover and I already paid it and there's no ins and outs at the bar or whatever and I just had to like wait outside for my friends. There's also a lot of, uh, peeing, uh, in alleyways and shit, especially when we would, like, party at Hollywood. I don't know why, like, I don't know what exactly caused this whole, like, mental block about peeing, and I don't know why I felt more comfortable, like, in an alleyway where somebody could uh, catch me and I'd get like a fine or something more than I did in a restroom. I think it's just like knowing like the line was waiting for me. There's too much pressure. But anyway, so that's like, it's better, but I still have some issues. So before I get to this physical, I drink, you know, a good amount of water to make sure that I have stuff in my bladder so I can pee when the time comes. I just remembered I got banned from the Marriott back on Kauai for like a year because they caught me peeing in the bushes (laughs) instead of at the bar. Uh, very stupid. They didn't take my picture or anything, so it wasn't like I was actually banned. The guy just said I was. I had to get escorted off the property. That was fun. Uh, don't miss my early 20s. Uh, anyway, so I get to the clinic. I go in, and right off, they had me filling out paperwork for, like, 20 minutes. And, like, by the end of this 20 minutes, like I have to be so bad, I can't think. And then finally the guy calls me in. We go in and I'm like hoping we get right to the uh, urine test. But no, he like has me like takes my weight, my height. He has me pick up a box that has like 50 pounds of like sandbags in it. And like I have to pick it up and then like walk across the room and walk back and say it didn't hurt. And uh, and then there's like a hearing test. And for the hearing test, he like sit in this little booth, put on these headphones and you click A thing when you hear it, and like when he puts, and it's a very tiny booth. He like puts me in it, and he like asks if I'm claustrophobic, and I'm like, no, but I'm also like kind of freaking out because I don't know I have to pee so bad, and so I like he puts me in there, and I start, and I'm like, how long is this gonna take? He's like taking a while to like get it set up, and he like sets his button, and then like I'm doing the test, I'm trying to like listen, but I can't fucking concentrate, and the guy like takes out his phone. And starts, like, putting up playing on his phone. And I'm like, oh my god, what the fuck? And then he gets up and he just walks out for, like, five minutes. Like, four minutes. Maybe it was. It probably wasn't even that long. I just thought it was. And so I'm, like, kind of freaking out in there. And I, like, almost, like, kick my way out of it. <laughs> out, of, out of that little booth because like I just couldn't think and I needed to pee so fucking bad and then he comes in and I like knock on the window and I open he opens the door and he's like you okay what's going on I'm like is there there's a urine test right and he's like oh you gotta pee And I'm like yeah I need to go right now and so he's like okay fine we'll just we'll come back to this so let's go and so we go and I was worried that there was gonna be like a urine test where they have to like watch you pee because I know that's a thing that it's like people have done but no thankfully it's like just put you in there it says don't flush the toilet and they put like a little tablet to test and see if there's like fake pee or whatever he said i had four minutes to like half fill this little cup and of course since I was like so anxious it like took me a while to like get things going but I did and it was just very stressful and then (laughs) then went back and finished the hearing test which I thought I did bad on because my tinnitus was pretty bad with those headphones on it's just like a lot of faint beeps you have to press a little button when the beeps happen but uh I asked him later he said it good and then he fucking drew blood they took two vials of blood, which seems like a lot for this thing. And then they sit me and the guy says, "Like, all right, now just sit and wait for the principal to come and like finish her check out. And then you're good to go. And I thought that meant, oh, we'll be in here. We'll come in like in a couple minutes real quick. Be fine. No, I sit in that room for like 50 minutes. <laughs> just like looking at my phone and like the doors closed and I'm like, did they forget about me? I like, and so of course, after fifty minutes, whenever I get up to open the door to peek my head out to see if anybody's around, it is right when the doctor's coming in, and she looks at me like I'm fucking crazy for getting up and wondering where the fuck <laughs> uh, anybody was, and she like then does her test, you know, listens to my lungs and like presses on my chest and stomach to see if there's any like weird pains, and has me bend over to touch my toes and like twist and make sure I can like move. Uh, it was just a lot. And then, so then that was it for the physical. And then I had to go to HR and like the day before I had like spent, I think I mentioned this, I had spent a few hours like on Adobe Reader, like filling out the HR forms. And so my HR appointment was me going there, talking to the girl there. And then she just prints out all those forms that I sent. And then I have to fill in the little places that I missed of course, I'm in this office and there's fucking, I'm the only one wearing a mask, of course. So, good sign of things to come for when I start working. And so I fill out these forms. And then I have to go and, like, walk across the street to this little shitty check cashing place. And they have to, like, take my fingerprints and do, like, a live scan. And that took forever. And, but, like, whatever. So, they, like, they like couldn't scan my pinky. It, like, wasn't registering on the thing. It was weird. Um. So, yeah, that took, like... My first appointment was at one thirty. I didn't finish till like, 5. It was just a lot of bullshit and, like, running around. And just, it felt like too much. It's like, you're hiring me. Like, why am I, I don't know. Of course, you don't get paid for any of that time. It's fucking ridiculous. And then, I'm like, I finished everything. And then they said, just uh, wait for your supervisor to get back to you. And then I didn't hear back from them until today, this evening. Uh, and I think I'm starting on Thursday. There's like a bunch of, she sent me like a list of available shifts and asked me when I'm available. And, uh, it's just a bunch of like shifts split between two different parks. And so we'll see. Most of them are like four hours, which is pretty chill. I'm only getting paid $16 an hour, which isn't terrible, but isn't great. So I'm definitely going to have to find some other job or side hustle I was reading, a I was, I don't know, I was listening to a podcast. My, I, when I lived in Portland, I went to like a voice coach and she like helped me record a, uh, a demo for like e-narration and commercials that I never ended up doing anything with, uh, because I had no willpower or motivation. And she was like on a little podcast and I listened to it the other day because she like tweeted about it and um, they're talking about audiobooks, and there's, like, I guess places where you can do audiobooks, and, like, they want you to be the editor also, and since I, like, edit this podcast, and I think the quality of it comes out fairly well, so I might, I might look into that, be a pretty good side hustle, though I think it'd be hard to get, like, any kind of substantial money from it, and it probably is a lot of work, I don't know, I need to look into it, I think the hardest part, if I did this, is I would need a more, a quieter, recording setup of course right when i'm talking about this there's a dog barking because where i record is just in my living room and i think it does pretty good on the sound but if there's like any noise outside i feel like it comes through uh but maybe i'm wrong let me know if you think that the sound quality of this podcast is good enough for an audiobook recording but anyways on to consumption uh let's see food wise nothing too exciting i try anything new trader joe's has a now. I think I'm pronouncing that almost correct. It's like a Korean dish. where It's like little, like, mochi, like, rice cakes, but they're, like, cylinder-shaped, and they're savory. They're, like, in a savory sauce. Uh, that's, like, a new product there, and I got that. It's pretty good. Pretty spicy, but, um, especially if you're, like, just eating a bunch of it. That was good. I'm gonna definitely get that more. I threw some tofu in with it. It made, like, a nice little meal. First time I had with without sausage in the sauce, so I became a vegetarian, like, four years ago, no, maybe five, I think, 2017, yeah, it's coming up on, it was, like, summer 2017, and I have this friend, Miranda, um, she's been a vegetarian her whole life, but she's, like, has some, she's, like, comfortable with certain things that, like, I'm not comfortable with as, like, a vegetarian, so, like, she's on the Korean stuff, she fucking lives in Korea now, and she, like, took me to get tteokbokki because she really liked it, and I was, like, it doesn't have meat, though, right? Like, we're getting it without the sausage because it says there's sausage right here. We went out for this thing twice. Both times. She was like, yeah, no, don't worry. There won't be any sausage. And i like, get it? There's fucking sausage and the <laughs> sauce. And I, like, am not thrilled about it. And she's like, oh, it's fine. Whatever. You can eat it. I was like, just because you, as a vegetarian, are okay with it, doesn't mean I am. I don't know. I still did. It's not the worst thing. You know, I don't, I don't feel too bad about it. It's just a preference thing. And they're just more annoyed that someone trying to tell me what I should and shouldn't be okay with. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, Trader Joe's Doughbuckie, pretty good. They also have these, I think they're new, they're like pink and white cookies. It was like, you know, those like shortbread cookies or whatever that has like the pink or white frosting, like animal crackers. Got a box of those. Those are great. I don't know why those cookies just really fucking work for me. I could eat those nonstop. Anyways, that's it for new foods. So move on to books and comics and... So I finally did it. I finally caught up with uh, all of the comics that have come out this year that I read illegally online uh, on that Russian site, and I'm feeling pretty good about my organization now that I have I like have an account and like I learned the like whole bookmarking system, and I think I like figured out a way to better enjoy series because I'm gonna start putting aside mini series, which is like most uh, mainstream comics now. It's just a bunch of, like, different miniseries all coming out at the same fucking time. There's very few, like, actual ongoings that I keep up with, so I'm gonna start putting those to the side so I can, like, read them all at once instead of, like, having, uh, 40 different stories that I'm trying to, like, keep in check in my mind, you know? And now that I've finished, uh, catching up on those, I'm gonna shift back to physical books and read all the, a few trades that I've like stacked up in this month of only reading online comics and finally get through some of my novels because I have a whole shelf that's just novels that I've bought and uh that I need to read because I like I, I tend to prefer reading comics I think to novels because comics are quicker it's easier to like check off on a list So it makes it, like, a little more appealing to me. Doesn't feel as hard. Like, I have to try as hard. You know, I think it's another reason why I like watching movies now as opposed to TV shows. Because TV shows always feel like such a commitment. Because they're fucking, you have to watch, like, a whole goddamn season of this thing. But a movie. Watch the movie. Check it off the list. Simple. Um, But anyways. So I'm excited to, like, finally try and tackle these novels. I already read one uh, this week. So that's fun. Let's see. Let's scroll through my goodreads and see what's worth talking about uh there's a really good moon knight tie-in to the devil's reign daredevil event uh that's happening right now he uh basically moon knight goes to jail and gets put in a fight club It's pretty sick i think that moon knight tv show comes out like tomorrow or the day after or something so definitely gonna watch that uh let's see uh reckoning war uh trial of the watcher was A good little one shot. Reckoning War is a fantastic four event that's happening now. And this trial of the Watcher was basically like a what if of like what if Uatu the Watcher didn't interfere with Galactus when Galactus um first came to Earth? Like if he didn't help out, how would they get through it? Uh, and it was pretty cool, it was a good um twist on that classic story. Uh, four star comic there, definitely recommend that. You could probably read that even if you don't read the whole Reckoning War thing. There's a new Carnage series in new carnage number one it's pretty good though it's pretty good a lot of brutal shit he's like torturing Hydro man right now i'm just interested to see what he's gonna do with Hydro man i don't know how a symbiote would work with Hydro man's all water physiology but we'll find out i guess There was a new issue of batman the knight this was this is a uh, chip sadarsky's um mini series about bruce wayne that time period where he leaves gotham to train when he's like 20 or whatever and this this issue was him taking down a serial killer uh and it was pretty good there's a good there's a really good line cuz like when he captures the serial killer he like beats the shit out of him and he has to be like stopped by this woman who is training him and it says like how do i stop monsters without becoming one which is you know pretty basic uh kind of line but i just like directly acknowledging it with these uh with batman's mythos you know feels cringy to use the word mythos but whatever uh so anyways, Batman the Night. This is a great series of four stars for that for me. And then they started uh Batman Superman World's Finest, the team up comic. Uh and this this run is being written by Mark Wade and drawn by Dan Mora. So it's like two amazing fucking creators. Uh and the first issue Uh, ruled. Morrow's art is fucking amazing. He's, like, the perfect superhero artist. Everything looks really fucking cool and sleek. And, like, they started off with a weird-ass story with, like, the Doom Patrol involved. And, uh superman got his heart like injected with a bunch of red kryptonite and like red kryptonite is the one like each piece of it has a different effect and so he was injected with like a cocktail full of like different pieces so he's like become this reactor of kryptonite effects uh which is a fun idea i don't know it's good i'm just very excited for the rest of this run and then that's it for our single issue comics and then the first novel i read uh was of course a novel from a comic book universe. <laughs> I read uh, uh, the Lobster Johnson novel, and he's a character from the Hellboy universe. And this was a nice short. It's like only 200 pages, kind of pulpy style uh, novel. So if you, if you don't know Lobster Johnson, he's like based off of those old school like pulp heroes, like the Shadow, the Spider, the Rocketeer, you know, that kind of thing. Um, early Batman. He like it's just this guy we don't really know anything about him he wears like a black leather flight suit and he has a uh, these goggles with like just blank orange eyes and the big insignia of a lobster and blue on his chest and he also has a brand on his left hand he always has a pistol a colt 45 in his right hand and then his left hand in his glove there's a brand of the claw and he can make it like burn and he'll like burn it into criminals heads and he'll, he's always talking about like fear the claw and like just like yelling justice and uh, I don't know he's a very cool fun character uh, probably my favorite Hellboy universe character um, and yeah this novel it's by Thomas E Snigowski 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 I'm not sure um, yeah it takes place in 1932 and it's like the lobster is taking on the mob. But also there's this guy who was working with the mob This like, he was the mob's doctor and he decides to like run away from the mob because he like accidentally gave like the mob's nef, the mob, the head mobster guy's nephew, like a morphine overdose. So he runs away to Mexico where he like runs into a, a bruja or witch who has like this demon skeleton and the demon skeleton can like produce demon juice they can turn people into monsters, and then this guy uses the demon juice to bring it back to the mob so they can have, like, a demon army, and so comes Lobster Johnson fighting the mob. while we'll also figure out where this demon army is coming from and how to stop them. Uh, it's a fun time. Nice, nice quick little read. So, yeah, it's probably more of a three star or three and a half star book, but I gave it four stars on Goodreads to be nice, you know, since I love the Lobster so much. I kind of want to get, because I want to get a Hellboy tattoo at some point. Um, still trying to figure out what exactly I want, but, uh, one of the tattoos, I kind of want to get the brand, his brand tattooed on my palm, get like the outline of the lobster claw, maybe even get it in red ink. I know that that's like probably a very stupid tattoo to get logistically. Cause I know palm tattoos fade pretty quickly and I'm sure red ink would fade especially fast, but I still kind of want to do it. Mostly be doing it for the bit. So I don't know, maybe I'll, probably be pretty cheap to do that too. Should walk down to the tattoo shop down the street and see how much it would be and how stupid of an idea they think it is. Anyways, so I read that, and then our last book of the week, or no, next to last, forgot to open a tab, uh, read Power Girl Volume 3, Bomb Squad by Judd Winnick and Sam Bosfrey. and this is following up the two volumes of Power Girl that I read last week that were done by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. and this is, like, such a step down from that run. It's not bad. This is still, like, some good stuff, but, like, it just doesn't have, like, the liveliness and the, like, how, like, engaging the characters are when Palmiati and Connor are doing them, and, like, the storyline just doesn't, like, hold up. It all feels just so sparse and, like, kind of bland and compar- in comparison. And then Sam Bossery's art, which I was actually excited when I saw Sam Bossery was the artist on this, because I only learned about him recently. I didn't realize he'd been doing art for this long because this book's from like 2009 or something and he's like one of my favorite artists going now but you can tell that this book is definitely towards the beginning of his career he hasn't like quite found his footing yet um and it also like really suffers from that like late 2000s early 2010s like digital coloring that all of the big two books were doing like just makes everything look so flat and lifeless and yeah just three stars for for power girl volume three um and then the actual last book I read, I read Black Panther, uh, by Christopher Priest, volume one. This is the run from like the Marvel Knights run from like 19, probably 98 or something, or no, 2000. Just all the notes says first published February, 2000. Um, and it's pretty good. This is like, I think this is one of the, uh, Black Panther runs that everyone like references and talks about. Um, and I get it, it is pretty good, but they decide to do like a, they decided to, like, pulp fiction the narrative, and they, like, explicitly call it that in the book because they have this whole framing device of, like, there's this guy, Everett K. Ross, who is, like, the government liaison to the Black Panther, who's supposed to, like, help him with everything while he's in America. I think he was the Martin Freeman character in the uh, the movie, but, like, So they have him like giving these reports to uh, his like superior and he himself is telling the stories out of order to his like boss and he's throwing in all of his like jokes too and they're all like pretty grown worthy in like late 2000s. There's a lot of like just like dumb bullshit. It just feels unnecessary and uh, the fact so... The fact that they decide to, like, Pulp Fiction the narrative and then make it, like, this guy's thing. And everybody else in the comic, like, his, his like, higher up, who's, like, also his girlfriend or whatever, gets annoyed with him for not being able to tell stories in order. And, like, I completely <laughs> relate with that because I think that's fucking annoying that that's just something that this guy does. uh So I don't really like that they did that. If they didn't have that framing device, I might not have even noticed it as much and would it was stood out to me. Um... I don't know, but it is, like, if you can get past that, there is, like, it is pretty easy to read and it flows pretty well. And there are, like, some actual, like, interesting, uh, stories, you know. And you got Black Panther doing some fun stuff, like, taking down Mephisto with one punch and, uh, successfully defeating Hydra-Man, like Carnage is doing now, uh, while, like, dealing with a bunch of, like, political stuff with Wakanda and trying to, like, overthrow a coup and all of this. So, yeah. It's, uh just going to get three stars from me. And it probably, like, it could have been more, but it's just I couldn't get past the Ross character. Uh, Just did not hold up. Maybe I would like this more if I read it when I was younger, but just didn't quite work. And this is the first volume of four, and it doesn't seem like the library has them. So maybe I'll read the rest one day. We'll see. I'm not going to go out of my way to do it. And yeah, I think that's it for for books and for part one, uh, be back in a second uh, to talk to you about movies after my final day of freedom tomorrow. And there's some good movies this week, so looking forward to talking about those. I'll be back in a sec. Okay, hey guys. Back for part two. And uh, it's official. have my first shift tomorrow at 10 a.m. Should only be a four-hour shift, but today was my last full day of complete freedom. So, of course, I used it wisely and just uh, read comic books all day. And uh, took like a two-hour nap. i did go for a walk, too, which means that I'm like overheated right now because it was like fucking 90 degrees today, which of course means that our apartment is also an oven right now. But anyways, we'll see how it is tomorrow. I feel like it's going to be a pretty chill job. It is kind of annoying. Like, she gave me a list of shifts that I could possibly cover. And I'm not sure if I'm going to end up doing all of them, but like most of the shifts are like four or five hours, which means to get like 20 hours a week, even it'll take me like fucking five days, which is frustrating, but whatever. We'll see. Definitely need to keep looking for jobs and side hustles or something. But anyways, let's just get to the movies uh this week. It's a pretty good batch. there's a couple duds in there, but some movies I really like, which starting with pray for death from nineteen eighty five uh and this is a ninja movie with um, Sho Kasugi, who was the bad guy in or he was the bad ninja in that Franco Nero uh enter the ninja that i watched last week and this movie has so many fucking wild choices in it i like this is the movie i took the most notes for in a long time because there's just so many weird things so shokasugi is like a japanese businessman who has a secret ninja history where his dad taught him and his brother how to be ninjas, and also his brother, him and his brother were sparring, but then his brother slipped and impaled himself on a sword, and because of this, uh, show has, like, our his name is Akira in the, in the movie, um, he's, like, sworn to keep his ninja past secret and not use it, and now he's, like, a businessman with a family and his... (laughs) wife is like half japanese half american her dad was a military guy for some reason we need to know that um but he's at this like company and he's gonna have to wait a few years for a promotion and instead of waiting his wife wants to move to america and so they move to fucking america him and his wife and his two kids and they for some reason buy this weird old restaurant from this like old man whose, like, wife died 10 years earlier. And it's, like, a dusty, like, restaurant in, like, the slums of either Houston or Los Angeles. That's where they filmed this movie. I'm not sure which city this is actually supposed to be. Um, and so they buy this restaurant that also has, like, that apartment that they're going to live in. And also there's a cigarette store, which was run by the guy's wife. And since his wife died 10 years ago, he couldn't bear to go in it. So he's kept it locked up uh, for years and hasn't gone in it. And since he hasn't gone in it, for somehow the cops know this are some, like, corrupt cops and these mobsters. And so they use it to, um, they use it as, like, a dead drop. Like, they have their own lock they put on this door that this old guy didn't notice for 10 years. And so they put the lock on, their own lock on the door, and they use, like, they go in there and, like, under the floorboards. They use it as a dead drop for stuff for the corrupt cops to leave to the mob to come pick up later. And so the movie starts with them leaving uh, a necklace. They steal this necklace. It's like called it the Van Aden or Van Alden necklace. They repeat the name a hundred fucking times in the movie. But when they're dropping off, one of the corrupt cops decides to keep it from himself, which leads into this whole, like, spiral, like the problem of the movie, <laughs> because there's one of the guys in the mob. There's this guy name? Limehouse Willie, who uh, is played by the guy who wrote the movie, and he looks like Walter Matthau's like shitty brother, and he is one of the worst villains I think I've ever seen in a movie. He's just such a sadistic, evil asshole (laughs) throughout the whole fucking thing. Um, They like get the old guy as they're leaving town, and he like beats the shit out of the old guy's knees with a cane, and then like kills him and like burns him in his car for no real reason. Well, the reason was because they wanted an explosion in the movie. There's a couple great fucking car explosions in this where they obviously used a lot of gasoline because there's a lot of fire. And yeah, then the whole movie is pretty much just Limehouse Willie terrorizing Akira throughout the whole thing. And then finally Akira like being like, I need to be a ninja again and take down this guy because this guy is insane and kills my wife and kidnaps his kid. So I don't know it's been a week now since i've watched this so i forgot a lot of it unfortunately but there's just so many fucking wild things like you guys should definitely watch this like the final fight it's, in, it's insane that this like shokasugi is supposed to be this incredibly talented ninja but he has a pretty even fight and like limehouse willie like beats his ass throughout a lot of it and limehouse willie is just like a random mob heavy there's no <laughs> he's just an asshole it doesn't say that he has any training or anything. He's just a tough bastard. Like, and it really gets, like, toward, especially towards the end, like, the last fight in the warehouse, you really get, like, kind of Batman-Joker vibes from it, which is funny. They find the warehouse, and there's, like, a room with mannequins that they fight in is kind of like trying to recreate like a kind of hall of mirrors kind of fight you know it made me think about i used to work in the receiving dock for macy's and in the portland macy's that i worked at it was like in the basement of the downtown building and there was like a room this like dingy ass storage room where they just kept like hundreds of mannequins it was very creepy and i don't know if i ever told this story on here about my coworker back at um the Macy's on Kauai, like, scaring me with mannequins. We were moving a bunch of stuff into a storeroom for something, like, I think a mattress sale. And, like, we set up a bunch of mannequins facing a wall. And I just kind of absentmindedly said, like, man, wouldn't it be fucked up if we came back in here and all those mannequins were looking at us? And my coworker heard me say that. And so she quickly turned them all around. So the next time I walked in, it actually did catch me off guard and, like, scared the shit out of me. I, like, full-on, like, froze in my tracks and gasped kind of uh, scared. It was funny. But anyways, Pray for Death, Uh really fun, ridiculous uh, ninja movie, four stars. And then uh, I watched Congo from 1995. And this is like a movie, this movie sucks. It's a dud. It's not, but it's like an entertaining dud. Because this is a movie that's like been in my consciousness for a long time. Because I remember the advertising campaigns from it. I'm pretty sure I had a Congo watch from Taco Bell. Um, I remember that when I was a kid. So it's just all always one of those movies that like I knew about but just never watched, and I never heard anyone say anything good about it, and for good reason. Uh, it just like so much in it happens in this movie, but also like nothing happens. So we got like this guy who trains a a gorilla to talk using sign language and gives her a glove that. Can read the sign language and speak for her, and he wants to bring the monkey back to the Congo. But at the same time, Laura Lenny is playing this woman who uh, needs to go to the Congo to get a diamond because her ex boyfriend or ex fiance Bruce Campbell is there and looking for this like special diamond, and he gets killed at the very beginning of the movie. And so, like, they go and they team up with Tim Curry, who's playing a ridiculous Romanian a uh, character named hermerker Homolka, and then they also meet up with fucking, uh, Ernie Hudson, who is playing, like, a hunter-type character who has a British accent, and he's having a lot of fun. Uh, Joey Pants is in there somewhere. It's just, oh, Jodon Baker from two different Bond movies, he's in this. It's fun to see him again. But, like, I don't know, just nothing. Nothing clicks. It's just constant, like, the whole like, first, like, hour and 15 minutes of this movie feel like the beginning of the movie. Like, it doesn't, there's no, like, second act. It doesn't, like, really build up to anything, and, like, the effects are just kind of embarrassing. Like, the gorillas kind of look cool. There's, like, evil, like, w- white gorillas, um, but I don't know. It just doesn't, just doesn't click. doesn't work. The actors are having fun, so it's like, kind of fun to watch them, uh, but, like, that's about all this movie has going for it, but I still, I give it three stars because I was never like upset at how bad I was. I was just like, man, wow, this is bad. Uh, yeah. Also, they do put some Taco Bell in the movie and it was cool to see the old Taco Bell, uh, packaging from when I was a kid. So there's that. And then next movie, this is a movie I knew nothing about and wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. It was Runaway Train, from 1985 uh it's a canon movie and it fucking rules i wasn't expecting it to be so cool and also so heavy so it's about uh john voight who i will admit this until i just now looked up the info i thought it was rutger Hauer for some reason in the whole movie but no it's john voight uh is like this old horrible criminal at this prison in alaska he's just a horrible bastard and eric roberts is also in the prison and he's like kind of a naive uh guy who like really looks up to Manny, uh, John Voight. Um, and so they, uh, escape the prison in the middle of Alaska and they like cross like this frozen tundra and they get on a train and the train that they happen to get on right after it starts to get going, the guy, the conductor of the train has a heart attack and falls off of the train. And so the train is just flying down the tracks, picking up speed. And then that's like the whole movie is just them on this train, For the first while, they don't even know that something's wrong. And so uh, it's like almost two movies playing at once. There's like them on the train and dealing with like talking about like prison and life in and out of prison, while also this warden, this like crazed warden who has a real hard on for Manny uh, is chasing after him. But then there's like shots of like the Alaskan railroad, like main office who are trying to like mitigate this disaster and figure out how to stop the runaway train. And they have no idea that the prison thing is happening <laughs> at the same time but yeah it's just such a cool like the performances are great and it's like gets into like these like kind of deep ideals about like the like what it means to be free you know in our society and like how to live in it and like well, i don't know like what you're willing to do for all this and there's like there's a bunch of like really beautiful shots too like the the landscapes of like this train like traveling through the tundra and all this snow and shit uh I don't know if it's actually tundra I'm just saying that word um and just looks fucking great and like the few shots of like the train like slamming into a the back of another train look pretty fucking sweet there's some good like uh stunt work of like people walking on top of the train and shit but yeah so fucking it's extremely solid four stars for Runaway Train like this is a great movie I definitely want to watch it again at some point. Oh, and this is also the movie where uh, we get Danny Trejo, like Tiny Lister is also in this, like a very young Debo, but this is the movie where we get Danny Trejo's origin story, which is cool, where he like was a prisoner who was just like friends with a guy who was in the prison, and the guys like saw him and really liked his look, and since he knew how to box, they like put him in the boxing scene with Eric Roberts, Uh, so that's that's pretty cool that we got uh, Danny Trejo from this movie too. Then, uh, next up, Kickboxer, 1989. And this is a fun, uh, little Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. It's a good time. Yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme, his brother is like a world-renowned, uh, kickboxer. Maybe just boxer? I don't know, but he's real cocky and he decides to go to Thailand to, like, challenge them Muay Thai guys because he thinks he can beat them and he doesn't, uh, put in the right training for this. And, um, then he gets into his fight with the, like, Muay Thai champion, whose name is Tong Po, who is, uh, played by a Moroccan guy who has makeup on to make him look more Asian, uh, and he gets his, like, back broken, and he can't walk, I thought he was gonna die in the fight, but no, they just have him paralyzed, and because of this, Jean-Claude Van Damme wants revenge, so with the help of, uh, this weird army guy named Winston, he finds, like, this Muay Thai master and trains with him, and then the whole movie is pretty much just him training with this guy, and then, like, also kind of learning that there's these politics with the Muay Thai things, like some kind of underground betting thing that they have to deal with. And yeah, it's just fun. There's good training stuff. Uh, a lot of silly shit. This is the movie where we get the, that, the famous gif of Jean-Claude Van Damme dancing very awkwardly because his trainer gets him really drunk and has him go dance with these girls so that all the locals at this bar will beat the shit out of him as like part of the training. Uh, so that's pretty fun. But there's also like some good uh, character moments, like, realistic reactions, like, I like, there's, like, the girl that he's, like, ends up falling in love with the first time he meets her, he gets into a fight with all these guys in the store, and then, like, ruins all of her shit at the store in the process of the fight, and I like that she wasn't, like, thankful, really, she was just pissed off and, like, mad that she, he fucked up all of her stuff, and, uh, then later, like, when he's training and his brother finally, like, gets out of the hospital, he, like, I thought they were going to do this thing where the brother was jealous and, like, hated his brother for, like, training and, like, fighting instead. Uh, but no, he does, he, he tells Jean-Claude Van Damme not to do the fight. He doesn't want him to get hurt, too. Uh, and I thought that was nice. <laughs> and, yeah. And then the final fight with Tong Po was pretty fucking sick. You get to see Jean-Claude Van Damme do a flying spinning kick and a thong so that's fun and it's funny while he's in this fight they have a big action sequence where his trainer and the army guy go to like rescue his brother and like have this big like gunfight and like explosions and shit so i don't know i just thought it was funny to have like this huge action sequence that doesn't even have our star and he's like in some just like normal ass fight while this is going on um but yeah kickboxer 3.5 stars me. Another Jean-Claude Van Damme movie that I think is better than Bloodsport. So maybe not as good as Lionheart, but better than Bloodsport for sure. And then next up, I watched Crimson Tide from 1995. And this movie fucking rules. I fucking, I really liked Crimson Tide. You got Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman uh going at each other. They're both like commanders of this nuclear sub in this like alternate history where in like 1996, a Russian, like, terrorist or, like, a Russian, like, separatist movement, like, breaks off and gets control of some nukes and are possibly going to launch them in America, which leads to the whole main conflict of, like, they get a order to, like, ready their nukes in case uh Russia, this, like, crazy Russian guy gets nuclear capability or whatever and, but then, the like, transmissions get cut off, so they're not exactly sure, and so that leads to, like, Gene Hackman insisting they need to launch the nuke and Denzel Washington, who's the younger, more level-headed guy, saying they shouldn't do it, uh, and it's great to have these two fucking fantastic actors just go fucking head-to-head like this, uh, I will say, though, probably not the best time to watch a movie about potential, uh, nuclear war with Russia, um, also, because, I mentioned last week that I went to the doctor and uh, they prescribed me Lexapro for my anxiety or whatever. And the side effects were really kicking my ass this week. Like trying to get used to it. And like they say like the side effects can be bad, but like after the first week or so, they like level out and your body gets used to everything. But like my anxiety was just real fucking bad this whole weekend. And so, uh, and like, I, you know, the typical stuff where I thought like my body was shutting down and I get like headaches and every headache that has like a normal, uh, explanation, I like convince myself it's a brain tumor, you know, the usual. Um, and so watching this movie, uh, about nukes with Russia, of course, made me think about all the bullshit in the news right now. It also didn't help that while I was watching this, some fireworks went off, (laughs) uh, and there's been a lot of like weird fireworks in my neighborhood recently they don't sound like the usual ones and they're going off at of w- weird times and i don't know why people will be setting out fireworks this time of year so they've been putting me on edge there was like one the other morning at, at like 9 a.m there was like an explosion that like rocked our house, it felt like. And it freaked me out. And I was like looking at Twitter trying to figure out what happened. And then I asked Dexter and Dexter was just like, you oh, know, just a firework, whatever. And I was like, Really? You think so? And he's like, Yeah, well who gives a shit. So maybe it's just my anxiety blowing things out of proportion. <laughs> but anyways, Crimson Tide. Uh it's just it's just a fucking good movie. I love this like military kind of uh drama thriller thing have, like these two different like philosophies going head to head and like all the drastic action that they like go through. Um, there's, like, some sweet submarine battles, like, where they get into, like, a fight with, like, a Russian submarine, like, knocks out some of the things, and, like, some really fucking tense scenes where they're, like, about to crash, and they have to, like, seal off, like, a fucking room with people inside of it, and so, like, poor Steve Zahn has to, uh, drown to save everybody else. Some great, like, uh, other actors in it, like, Viggo Mortensen is, like, Denzel Washington's, like, best friend. And then James Gandolfini plays, like, the kind of asshole guy who is, of course, on Gene Hackman's side. So we got some good supporting actors in this, too. But yeah, it just does a great job of building that tension up to, the, like, the final moment. And, like, real real nice, like, relief valve at the end there. Uh, that's a f- fucking bullshit <laughs> review. You could say that for any thriller. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. It was really, uh, what's the word? I wanted to say enrapturing? That's not the right word. I don't know. It, it made me stop thinking about real life by about halfway through the movie, and I was just fully wrapped up in what was going on. So a solid four four 4.5 stars for Crimson Tide. It gets like the the like minor demerit comes from this is a Tony Scott movie and they had Tarantino come in and do like some punch-up and so you get some like corny lines in it about uh like two soldiers are like arguing over who draws Stanley better Jack Kirby or Mobius and you know that's like a fucking Tarantino's contribution to the thing and also some like corny Star Trek uh references that Washington uses and like they're fine. I kind of like that they're in there, but it definitely like, took me out of the movie a little bit and just made me think about uh, Tarantino. So yeah, 4.5, great movie. And Denzel Washington is right. War is the enemy. <laughs> then next up we have Showdown in Little Tokyo from 1991 with Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee. Uh, and this is a funny movie. It's a good time. Uh, it's nice and short. He's got a lot of action, a lot of, uh, real corny ass one-liners. Um, so Dolph Lundgren is a detective who works mainly in Little Tokyo in, in LA. Uh, and he is a giant weeaboo. Um, really involves himself with the Japanese culture, speaks Japanese. He like wears a fucking, uh, like not a kimono, but like, like those robes you see samurais wear, he wears those at one point. And then Brandon Lee is his partner, who, you know, he's Bruce Lee's son, so he's Asian, but he's not Japanese, and, um, he plays, like, a detective who just got transferred to being, uh, uh, Dolph Lundgren's partner, and he's, like, from the valley and has no connection to, um, any of his Asian heritage, uh, and they're taking down the Yakuza, who's run by Karatekawa, you know, Shang Tsung. that's always fun to see him, uh, Tia Carrera's in this, as, like, the, like, love interest for Dolph Lundgren, uh, always cool to see her, uh, fucking, I can't remember his name, actually, I don't think I've ever known his name, like, you know, Shredder's henchman from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the, like, Japanese, the bald Japanese dude with the handlebar mustache, he's in this, very cool to see him, and yeah, I don't know, uh, they take down the Yakuza, what the fuck do you expect? Well, like, spouting off these stupid one-liners, like, Dolph Lundgren says, you have the right to be dead, and at one point, they, like, go into a, a club, uh, a Japanese in the bonsai club and they're like doing that sushi thing where like it's on like naked chicks and uh Brandon Lee had never seen anything crazy like that before so like becomes like his rallying cry he's like and we're we're done with this we're gonna go eat fish off of those naked chicks and that's pretty funny so yeah I don't know 3.5 stars it's a nice Good short little action movie. And it it's funny with the Yakuza stuff how, like, they make the fact that the Yakuza are covered in tattoos, like, very scary <laughs> to, like, normal people in this movie. And it's just funny watching that now where, like, having a full, like, Yakuza bodysuit like that, like, that's, like, every chef now. It's, like, weirder if you don't have a bunch of tattoos all over yourself. Speaking of hipsters, the, uh, <laughs> um, there's a new, like, hipster couple who live across from us now in, like, my giant window. And our living room over, that's over my bed, looks directly into their giant window. And they had their windows kind of open so I could see what they were doing. And the guy, of course, scrawny white guy, was in there like, he has like a whole DJ set up and his headphones on. And I guess he was like putting together some type of uh, playlist or a mix or something. It was just funny to see him bopping around with his headphones on. But, you know, hey, we all do embarrassing things in our living rooms at night. I'm recording a fucking podcast right now. Anyways, next movie, Deep Cover from 1992 with uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum. And this is one of the coolest movies I've ever seen. I fucking loved it. It's just such a cool vibe throughout. So Lawrence Fishburne plays a cop who, whenever he was very young, the movie starts with like a flashback of his dad around christmas time going to like rob a store while he's in while lawrence fishburne as a kid is like in the car and so he watches his dad try to rob this place shoot a guy and then he runs out and then the guy shoots him in the back and so he dies like in lawrence fishburne's arms while like a Salvation Army Santa is there, so you can add this one to the secret Christmas movie list. So he grows up, he becomes a cop because he wants to make a difference, and because he has a, his psych profile says that he has a problem with authority, he gets uh, recruited by this like slimy asshole to the DEA to become an undercover guy in los angeles they're like they start out in like fucking columbus or something for some reason the dea moves him to la make him a drug dealer where he gets involved with this whole uh like mob drug ring with jeff goldblum and some other guys and just fucking it's just a great time from there i like all the fucking i was gonna say intrigue that feels like a shitty word to use whatever uh, you know, all this shit happens, it goes right, it goes wrong, blah, blah, blah. And the whole time, like, Lawrence Fishburne is, like, has this really sweet, like, neo-noir kind of, uh, narration throughout, and his voice just sounds so good, and they write some, like, great lines, and, uh, this movie is directed by Bill Duke, who was, you know, I know him, I didn't realize that he was, like, a director, I just know he was, like, in The Punisher, or not The Punisher, the fucking Predator, <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's like a lot of great colors in this and a lot of great, uh, shots and like fun, like inventive wipes. So like the whole movie just has like a really great vibe. And I feel like they handled the whole like story of like the drug trade pretty well, where like everyone on both sides are assholes. Like the cops and the DEA suck, the mobsters suck, and the like, politics of like the whole thing because it ends up being like this whole thing with like latin america and the dea wants him to stop being undercover because like the head guy that they were going after is now like friends with them and they want him like to work with them politically so he feels like he did all this undercover shit for nothing and so he kind of goes rogue and blah 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 um don't want to fully spoil it because you should go watch this i'm i'm giving deep cover fucking five stars it was there's nothing else I could have wanted uh, from this movie. It's just you know, great time, great performances. Lawrence Fishburne's coolest motherfucker. Jeff Goldblum does a pretty good job of like being a sleazy lawyer turned drug dealer, which you know, shocking. Um, yeah, loved it. Great time. Oh man, I still got three more movies. This is why I need to break up the recording. This is annoying. Um, but anyways, gotta finish it out. Uh, <laughs> next to watch the last Starfighter uh, from 1984. This one's kind of cute, uh, It's but it's like a little bit of a dud, you know, guy who's gonna, about to go to college or whatever, feels stuck in this trailer park that he lives in because he helps everybody out. If he leaves, you're going to fucking, he wants to leave, but then what the what is his girlfriend and whatever going to do? I don't know, but he is really good at this video game that they for some reason have at the trailer park called The Last Starfighter. Turns out it was a test to find people who are good at piloting put there by these aliens, to recruit him to actually become a starfighter, and it's fine. All the stuff in space kind of falls flat, and it's just extremely forgettable, while some of the stuff at the trailer park and on Earth is, like, cute and kind of fun. Uh, so yeah. I don't know. I don't have anything really to say about it. Three stars. It mostly just made me think about being young and like having the time to really put a lot of effort into a video game and go get at it. Maybe not the time because I've definitely had the time to do that recently or like caring about that. Made me a little nostalgic for that but that's about it. Next up we got Broken Arrow from 1996 and this is a John Woo movie with uh Christian Slater and John Travolta. In uh, this movie is fine there's a lot of good like stunts and shit so it's about Christian Slater and John Travolta they're like co-pilots for a 52 bomber and they're doing a test run and they actually have nukes in there for some reason like they need to test radiation levels or something and this leads to a plot where John Travolta has uh gone bad and this is gonna like kill Christian Slater and like have the nukes and like He has, like, a team set up to, like, retrieve them, and then they're gonna hold them ransom to get a bunch of money from the U.S. government. This goes wrong, of course. Christian Slater survives, and he teams up with this, like, park ranger chick to, uh, try and stop John Travolta. And the whole movie is basically just them, like, fighting in the desert. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It was, like, the story itself was just kind of boring, and, like, I never, like, believed it. I never, like felt fully immersed in this story. Maybe that's the word I was looking for earlier. Uh, I just kept thinking about, like, because John Travolta and Christian Slater both don't feel like military pilots to me. So their performances, like, are fun. They're fun to watch, but I just never believed any of it. And then also, like, John Woo's, uh directing style, while it is really fun to watch, it just, like, some of, like, the flashier elements are, are just, uh, fuck, I don't know how to word this. I don't know. It feels like you're watching something cool, but not something good. Maybe that's, I don't know. Also, I can't remember if I mentioned this when I watched Face Off, but I feel like Hideo Kojima, the guy who made Metal Gear, took a lot from John Woo with like this uh, slow motion and like the way he introduces characters and stuff. There's something there. Also, I don't know if it was maybe because I watched this on a library DVD. Maybe it's like the DVD transfer but like the camera I don't know what lens or whatever they use but it was like that type of film like almost like soap opera kind of film where like it looks too real so you don't believe it's a movie for some of the shots um but anyways I'm really ragging on this movie but like overall it is like a good time and like the performances of course like John Travolta's insane and Christian Slater's like kind of funny uh and like there's some pretty sweet fights in it and, like, explosions. Like, you have know, some good helicopter explosions and shit. Uh, they actually do set off a nuke in this, but, like, in a mine. So, you know, second movie this uh, this week giving me some nuclear anxiety. Uh, but yeah, three and a half stars for this. Definitely better than Congo. <laughs> and then last movie I watched, I realized I didn't even write up a review. So I'm flying blind on this one uh, because that makes a lot of difference for my these reviews on here. Uh, I watched Marathon Man from 1976 with Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier and uh, Roy Scheider, William Devane. Um, uh, and this is cool. It's a cool movie. Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't know what to expect, like from it. Uh, so the story, like, really surprised me. So. Dustin Hoffman plays the son of like this former senator who killed himself, uh, who's like a history student, like he's doing his post grad work or whatever, and he's also like training for the marathon while his brother Roy Scheider has been lying to his brother saying that he like works in the mil- uh, in the oil industry, but he actually works for some like shady organization that's like not quite the FBI or the CIA, and they've been moving diamonds for this Nazi uh, played by Lawrence Olivier who is supposed to be, like, an analog of uh, Joseph Mengele. But instead of calling him the Angel of Death, they call him, like, the White Angel because he has white hair. Um, And so, yeah, then Dustin Hoffman just gets, like, drawn into this crazy shit when his brother gets killed over these diamonds. Uh, And I was going to say, I remember when I was watching this, I was planning on saying, like, it's cool to see a young, like, fit Dustin Hoffman. But he was 38 (laughs) when he made this, uh, which surprised me. And then Laurence Olivier also puts in a great performance and then you read that he was like riddled with cancer during this and like on all kinds of painkillers but he still managed to put in like a really fucking fun and good uh performance as this nazi who's obsessed with diamonds and thankfully his cancer went to remission after this so he was like actually able to enjoy all the critical acclaim that this movie got uh so that's nice and yeah i, don't know, I think i'm gonna give marathon man uh four stars you know it's for like has great pacing for one of these uh 70s movies and the story was like surprising uh and pretty cool they changed i read that they like changed the ending from the way the book is and i think i like the movie ending better uh forcing a nazi at gunpoint to eat diamonds is pretty cool uh so and yeah i think I, did i say yeah four stars for this i'm out of it i'm tired i'm gonna so i'm gonna stop talking now that's it for movies this week, um, you know, this has been Consume, and I've been Burton Olivier at BirdZor on everything, uh, if you have any questions, comments, or recommendations, and, uh, you know, send out some good vibes that this job is gonna be pretty easy for me, uh, or not, whatever, who cares, (laughs) I'll tell you about it next week, uh, but until then, it's, uh, time I disappear.